Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here, and I just wanted to drop in for a quick second to tell you that this podcast is really gaining popularity, and in order for us to continue growing like this, I'd love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes. Plus, I'm always excited to hear feedback and continue to improve our content based on what you want to hear. I know I'm in. Are you? Is the movie Hidden Figures truly about getting astronauts into space? What part of the writer's background made her perfect to pen this script? How difficult was it to adapt a real-life story for the screen? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. Today, I'm really excited to get off the beaten path a little bit and have on our show... Allison Schroeder, who is the Oscar-nominated screenwriter for the film Hidden Figures, which if you haven't seen it, uh, I don't want to do any kind of, uh, you know, spoiler alert, but, you know, the Americans got into space, in case you were wondering. So, Allison, thank you for coming on the show and, uh, and joining us today. Thanks for having me. So I thought we could talk a little bit about the overarching idea of this film because um, one of the questions I'm thinking about, I want to ask you is about, is this movie really about space travel and getting people into space? Well, I think probably the movie is more about the idea of if everybody can work together despite their differences, they can achieve extraordinary things. And in this case, it happened to be, you know, getting these astronauts into space. Fair enough, but you certainly uh, there's a lot of sort of subtext or not even that mm-hmm. sub that goes on. It's that's really beautifully interwoven into the story, and so uh, I, I almost would argue that like the main uh, voice or the main thing that you want to say out of this is sort of speaking about racial inequality in America. Would, would that be fair? I think it was racial. I think there was sexism. Mm-hmm. you know, as well that they faced. And it was definitely, yeah, I mean, it's definitely sort of when the odds are stacked against you and the rules aren't fair, you know, how do you succeed anyways? And so we wanted to show them playing within the rules, uh, trying to change the rules, and then sometimes seeing ahead, in the case of Dorothy Vaughn, to what change would come and getting ahead of the game. So, I mean, it was definitely, this is definitely about sort of the unsung heroes behind sort of the big, Uh, stars that we remember the astronauts but I think it can be true about presidents or CEOs that there's a lot of people you know working behind them and maybe you know it's time or sometimes it's good to look and and you know I guess um, revel in their accomplishments as well honestly sure well you know how many screenplays had you written before this one a lot, a lot of screenplays. <laughs> it's so funny because everyone says, you know, oh, this was an, ins- you know, she's just a newcomer and this fast rise to success. And that's not really the case. You know, I graduated film school almost 10 years ago and have been writing frantically ever since. So, you know, it's not, it's not overnight success, but it comes from a lot of, a lot of screenplays are still sitting dusty in the drawer. Uh, fair enough. Now, were they all, is there sort of a similar genre to them all, or is this something like a new one for no, you? No, no, I've had to go all over the place. You know, I started as a staff writer on the new 90210 mm-hmm. and got pigeonholed in teen comedy a lot. So I wrote Mean Girls 2, wrote an MTV movie, um, I, and then I, I got to veer a little bit into the musical world and write kind of a darker musical, but still a teen lead for Awesome News TV. But then for my you know other work, I would write psychological thrillers. I wrote a pilot about the Manhattan Project, about 
NASA itself and the astronaut program. I wrote sort of a dark, twisty um, family drama set in Mississippi. I've written spy movies. I wrote an Agatha Christie script that sold to Paramount. That sort of was what got on the radar of the producers of Hidden Figures. I wrote a post-apocalyptic feature. So I've written all genres, just constantly was trying to sort of get the industry to view me as something other than teen. Uh, and that's ultimately what it took to, to land the job of Hidden Figures. Okay, so and the, here's the question. So, you know, it's an adapted screenplay nomination, which means that there's a book uh, right. uh, that it came out first, although it seems like it came out pretty close to, you know, last year like when the, from when the movie came out. So was this book completely done when you started writing no, the screenplay? No, no. And I didn't realize that when I was first talking. I'd gotten the book proposal, which was like 55 pages, mm-hmm. and had just a sample chapter and then sort of like a one-paragraph summary on the chapters. Um and, and didn't realize that she was sort of starting to write her book. So Margot Lee Shetterly, the author, and I were, were writing in tandem and through production. And so she was incredibly generous and gave me all of her research. You know, So I read everything from Jim Crow law rulings to what their subdivision looked like to interviews from them. So she was incredibly helpful, though, and I'd call her up and say, okay, what exactly does punch code carding look like? And so we'd find, you know, archival footage of it. But... We were writing simultaneously. Well, before we even get to the actual nuts and bolts of writing it, um, you know, how having not had, you know, 10, you know, previously produced screenplays on the screen before, do you get in charge of writing a screenplay like this? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, what, what, what convinced the producers to hire you? Well, there were a few things that fell in line. You know, one is this didn't start out as a studio movie. This started out with Levantine Films, Donna mm. Gelati, sort of more as an indie film. And she was... The person that got to make the call on who to hire, you know, there was no one else I had to be approved through. And she read my Agatha Christie script and um, I got on the phone and I said, she says I said this, which is very cheesy, but I, I may have. I said I was born to write this. And she sort of rolled her eyes and thought, oh, dear God, Hollywood writers will say anything to get the job. But then I told her, I said, I grew up by Cape Canaveral. I'm a NASA baby. My grandfather was an engineer on the Mercury prototype and the capsules. My grandmother was a programmer at NASA. I worked there in high school for four years and then for a missile launch company after freshman year. And I think she was just sitting there in shock. Um, <laughs> and she said, you know, do you, do you still do math? And I said, yeah, I still do math. I just did, you know, a lot of the statistical analysis for the writer's guilds, um, oh. you know, latest numbers. And so, on you know, employment in the industry. And so... She wasn't expecting that. And then I pitched her a few, you know, scenes. And that was honestly how I got the job. Um, I think if this had started out a big studio film, I wouldn't have stood a chance. You know, they would have gotten um, an A-list writer who had already been nominated probably before. Um, so this was, you know, this is how you get your break sometime. It's sort of an unexpected project that becomes big. And you get lucky and you get the call and you... You, you know, win the job. So so when you were, were you a kid kind of bouncing around the halls of NASA? I was. I mean, I, I remember my dad taking me and there's pictures of him holding me in front of the Redstone rockets. And I remember they had sort of like this prototype of the capsules that you could play on and push all the buttons. And I remember, you know, going to Mission Control. I've actually stood on the launch pad before. I've been in the vertical assembly building. I've, you know, crawled up and looked inside to the shuttle. So this was just part of who I am. You know, one of my <laughs> earliest memories was I went to Gemini Elementary, right, of course. And um, they would time our fire drills so we could be outside to watch the launches in the sky. 
And I remember the Challenger explosion and just seeing it and realizing, you know, the devastation from the look on my teacher's face and thinking, okay, this didn't go right and uh, realizing what had happened and they couldn't find the cabin right away. And so my friends and I got on our bicycles that night and we searched all the vacant lots, convinced that we would find the astronauts. And, you know, in my youth, I thought they would still be alive. So very wow. early memories were shaped by the space program. And um, so I was able to bring just that culture to the script, you know, the feel of NASA. And then my own experiences as a woman in mm -hmm. STEM, I, I was able to bring to the script. So some of those scenes are a little autobiographical of the Janelle Monae scene when she shows up at the white high school and he says the class isn't designed for a woman and she says it's teaching like a man. That actually happened to me when I was studying economics. Wow. So, so yeah. you know, what's funny is a lot of the time, you know, as maybe when you're writing, I wonder if you, you, you write a line of dialogue and you say to yourself, okay, that's going into the, the preview. Uh, and right. I, there's so many of these in this movie. I'm just kind of curious. Did you get a feeling for any of that? Because when you were writing this, and like, oh, that's a really great line, and that's going to be up there. <laughs> there were, I mean, there were definitely some lines that I thought, I wonder if we'll get away with this. And they would sort of, you know, some, I mean, it's development. So some of my, you know, favorite lines are gone, and, and new mm. lines came in, and the actors, of course, um, you know, came up with some of their ideas, and, and my co-writer, Ted Melfi. But I think mostly when I saw the trailer, I just thought, when I heard some of these zingers, because there were a lot of these, like, I'd already be an engineer, you know, I don't entertain these thoughts, or, um, mm -hmm. you know, have her run the numbers, I thought, I, I never really thought we'd sort of get away with them. You know, they're, they're not the typical Hollywood lines um, in terms of what women and certainly a black woman gets to say on screen. And so I just watched the trailer and thought, did this movie really get made? Is this really happening? And, and it did, and then uh, it's pretty exciting. Did you have a chance to spend any time on the set while they were filming? I did. I did. I went and I visited set in Atlanta, and um, it was incredible. The production designer, Wynn Thomas, had you know transformed these abandoned buildings into NASA headquarters, which was pretty spectacular. And um, I was going to do a cameo, so I got in the big, you know, hmm. uh, beehive and wore <laughs> the girdle, and um, was actually three months almost three months pregnant at the time and put on the girdle and then ran to the restroom and Googled, should you wear a girdle while pregnant? I said no. So I quickly took that off and, uh, <laughs> I, you know, no, didn't, didn't make it in the movie. Didn't get the, didn't, you know, cameo oh. didn't make it, but it was really fun to, to just get to go and, and go to the costume house and see everything and, and go through the hair and makeup and the times. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm kind of curious because when you obviously when you do a movie about sort of this time period of NASA, there is sort of this, um, you know, elephant in the room. I don't know what it's called, but, the, you know, the notion of the right stuff movie, mm -hmm. the right stuff sort of right. hanging over you. Right. And, you know, I, I, have, I have to look at the Oscars, but I know it was nominated, you know, whatever, 12 times and whatever. I'm sure it won a few. So did, did that have any influence on you when you were writing this? I didn't really think too much about it. I mean, I, I, I had certainly seen it and I thought a little bit about the feel of it, but I knew that this was taking a very well-known part of history and switching the angle and coming at it from a, a different point of view. And I kind of thought of it as there's these photos that you can see in various textbooks of the Enoch machines, which are the early computers from World War II. And you see the big machine, and if you actually look at the original photo, they cropped out the female programmer. Hmm. And I just, that's how I sort of thought of this movie, was we're just 
we're, we're opening it up and letting you see a bunch of people you didn't know were working there. Because well, what I was thinking as well was, you know, there's this uh, play, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yeah, where whenever absolutely. They, whenever they walk off stage on in Hamlet, they come on stage on this one. And that's sort of what I told my kids as we were walking out, glowing over the movie, which was, you know, again, my, and my son and I had just watched the right stuff together. Mm-hmm. And so I said, so that's kind of neat, right? Like, remember when John Glenn leaves that scene and whatever, he's coming on the scene here. Um, and so I thought that was a really great thing. And the interesting thing is it's almost like, the, the parallel, and I was wondering if you were even uh, aware of this or if it was conscious, the parallel of what we saw in the right stuff with the astronauts having to train and get there is kind of like the same kind of um, almost torturous journey that these women had to get to where they needed to go. Did you Was that conscious at all? Yeah, I mean, it was always about the idea. I mean, at NASA, when they were trying to make it into space, every time they solved one problem, there was a new one. Right. And that was sort of the same for these women. Like every time they overcame one obstacle, there was another one for them to face. And that was just that's what NASA's like. That's what honestly life is like. And so it was definitely a conscious effort that they not just have one victory. Right. But that it's throughout the film. They're sort of continuing to have to beat the odds. Um, So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that was, you know, it was a theme about being the first in many ways, the first to, to push forward. So I'm thinking that maybe we could break into a little bit of a structure uh, discussion because sure. I'm always into, you know, how people set this stuff up. So, you know, there was no proper book written for you to base anything off of at that point when you're writing it, right? Right. And so the question then is, is you know, uh, and it's always like you have what? You have maybe eight or nine minutes tops to start the movie to sort of set up where we are and who these characters are. So, you know, what was the genesis? And, and if, if we've all seen the preview, I'm sure, where, you know, they're, they're broken, their car is broken down the side of the road. And it's sort of, actually, that's, there's a pre, the, the prologue as right, well. the prologue. Um, so... Where, where did you kind of how did that come to your mind because obviously I, I this isn't really I'm, I'm either way I don't want to spoil it if it happened or not happened but how did you settle on you know starting as a little kid in the very beginning in the economy that you did it with and then that that broken down car the broken down car scene like how did that genesis come up right or, well okay so in the beginning when I was first working with Donna Gelati it was I just knew the arcs of these three women right so I knew that Catherine was going to join the space task group, have the issues with the colored restroom to show her as an outsider, which was actually something that happened to Mary Jackson that we transposed to Catherine. Mm -hmm. Um, The white women sort of chuckling at her and her being so frustrated was something that Mary had talked about in her interviews, but obviously something they were all facing at NASA. So we showed it with Catherine. And then leading it to the act three, right? I knew that we were going to end with John Glenn. So she had a very clear trajectory. And then the romance with her husband for Mary, I knew we were building towards this courtroom scene and her being, you know, made into an engineer. And for Dorothy, I knew it was the coming technology and I needed to show her learning to program and then ultimately becoming the head of that department. Mm-hmm. So I started with my endpoint, and then I worked backwards and we found in the research their three personalities, which is what you see at the beginning of the film. So the prologue of the little girl um, is actually taken very directly from the one chapter we did have of Margot. And she wrote about Catherine sort of counting the cracks and different things in her world that were mathematical. So that was taken, you know, very much from from the book. 
and um, and Ted really wanted that that in. You know, he there had been a lot of discussion of whether or not to have flashbacks or not. And he was very much like, yes, we need this flashback. <laughs> and then the car scene, the three personalities of the women were always established. So um, I had read that Catherine would sort of brush off now when she talks about NASA. She won't really talk about the racism and sexism. It was sort of just like she says, you know, I put my head down and did my work and that's just what I did. And so sort of this quiet dignity and her resistance was just sort of showing up every day and continuing to ask to go to the meeting. So that was her personality. Mm-hmm. For Dorothy, I knew she was the mother figure and I sort of added in that she liked to tinker and take things apart and was the mechanic. And then for Mary, she was sort of the more loud, boisterous one. So in that opening scene, you get all three. And that scene actually originated, there was a midpoint scene that I had where it was actually Catherine and Jim in the car. And they stumble upon a group of white men sort of going to an Elks Lodge for like an early KKK meeting. And it wasn't a violent scene. It was just very clear that it was this moment of tension and she shows her badge to get safe passage through these people. And it showed that the common enemy was Russia. And that was sort of one of the other things we had to establish for audiences that didn't know it, that the Cold War was happening, the enemy was Russia, and this race to beat them to space sort of trumped all else. Um, and <laughs> so it, um, you know why yeah. I'm laughing, I guess, right now, right? As, as, I'm, I know. as you flip on CNN. By the way, it, it's, it's Russia now. The Soviet Union, it's, uh, now it's one and the same. So uh, it's, a, I know. it's crazy yes, themes. It's, it's become incredibly topical. Uh, we yeah. can see that at the time. And, so, and then um, Ted Melfi, my co-writer, director, came on board and was like, let's, you know, let's, let's put this more up front and take the idea of them carpooling together and, and the opening scene was, was created. Wow. I mean, it's, I think that a lot of writers uh, would, the, the biggest challenge they have, or one of them, is to figure out how to establish characters very quickly and not spend all this time. And, and so that, that was what I was really impressed with going through the script again was just, geez, in such a short amount of time and a lot of, you know, it, it very clearly uh, we know who they are, you know, mm-hmm. especially when you have three. Now, did you know that Catherine was going to be the main character? We did, yes. I mean, there's sort of the most known about her, and she just gotten the Medal of Freedom. So we always knew she was the spine, but her request was that it not just be about her, but the other women. And that was tricky too, because it wasn't just Mary and Dorothy to choose from. You know, there were there were other women, and so um, I just I just thought their stories were very compelling, and I could very visual. You know, that's mm-hmm. also one of the tasks as a writer. That courtroom scene, you know, you can see that. You know, you can see the programming, and and they needed to be different enough you know, mm-hmm. that um, each woman sort of had their own personal journey. Um, so that was just always sort of there from the get-go. And, and I just, I wanted to make a story of very complicated, layered women that were um, mathematicians and scientists, but mothers and friends and wives and Girl Scout mm-hmm. troop leaders and, you know, would play bridge together. And, and that's who they were. And so it was you know, kind of a wish fulfillment. Honestly, in Hollywood, you don't get that opportunity, you know, to have two female leads, much less three. Mm-hmm. And then they get to be black leads and, and that they're lifting each other up, that they're not in competition with each other. Um, it's pretty rare. So, with, Well, with so many like historical plot points that you wanted to cover or had to cover, I mean, how hard was it to slow it down and say, okay, we're going to spend a minute or two here with a nice touching scene between humans, you know, having right. everyday lives? Was that, was that a hard thing to get into the movie? I don't 
it was hard. It was just sort of the second step. So the first step was dealing with the history and the actual events and getting a proper timeline, being both true to the facts, but also, you know, for instance, did, did, you know, Dorothy get promoted the same day John Glenn launched? No, of course she didn't, you know, but Mm -hmm. it's around that same time. Those things you have to fudge a bit, but so that was the first thing was like, get the math, get the science, get the NASA events correct. And then once that was in place, Donna Gelati sort of said to me, okay, now go play. You know, now just really mm-hmm. have fun with it. And that's when, you know, I could go in and add them like getting tipsy and, and hanging out with each other and sort of more of the playful, the playfulness, which was continued, you know, throughout development, just continuing to add layers to that. So the other question I, that I have for you in terms of dialogue is, is, you know, there are some complicated concepts that they have to talk about. There's no way mm-hmm. around it, right? And yes. I'm just kind of curious, how hard was that to try and – how many revisions did you have to do with those scenes to sort of make Euler's theory, you know, somewhat palatable mm-hmm. people can follow what you're talking about? Well, I tutored math to make my way through film school. Ah. So uh, teaching math people was, was something I'd done a lot of. So the key was to look for things that were visual. So, for instance, one of the first things she does on the chalkboard is she does the trajectory of the redstone and, and the other rocket. And you can see mm-hmm. one makes it into space and one doesn't. And just a layman can see that, right? One's right. high enough, one's not. So it was finding things like that that were very visual that would translate and then, um, you know, digging into the math and, and you know, Ted, the director, and, and Margo and the producers and everything, we all worked really closely with NASA and with mathematicians. So there was a mathematician um, on set, you know, doing all those equations and then, you know, helping to explain. Jim Parsons' scene was really important to, the, to Ted um, Melfi, the director, co-writer, because he needed to understand what Catherine was doing. So in a way, you know, he did all this research to really learn it and then have Jim Parsons explain that to the audience was very important. So they, you really understood the problem that they were facing. And NASA says that that is by far one of the best descriptions on screen of what they were doing that they'd ever seen. For sure. And, you know, just in case someone hasn't seen the movie, obviously we're talking about early NASA and getting the, mm-hmm. the uh, Mercury 7 astronauts into space and right. orbiting. Uh, this, is not, this is before the moon. This is JFK. This is, yeah. Yeah. It's his first time in the space. It's the two. It's um, Alan Shepard and Gus Grissom. They did suborbital launches. So they just sort of get into space and come back down. Right. Right. And then John Glenn was the first one. So he not only had to get into space, but he had to get up higher into orbit and then circle the Earth a few times. And the Russians beat us. They did it first. And um, it was incredibly, oh, difficult, you know, for the NASA engineers to accept that they'd been beaten. And it really galvanized America that we couldn't let the Russians outsmart us. So then that was sort of what pushed us to get to the moon first. But we were really behind behind the Russians in the beginning. And we take so much for granted now. We take calculators and you just type in cosine, you know, and, right. and, and it'll calculate it. But they had charts and slide rulers and the ideas of going from, you know, uh, elliptical orbit to a parabolic orbit, you know, the, these things that computers can calculate now, not only did we not have computer machines, right? We had human computers. We didn't have machines to calculate it. But the math didn't exist. And that was a big thing. I remember writing early on in the sentence that um, in the conversation with Catherine and Harrison, um, 
you need to invent the math. Mm-hmm. And I think that's not something we think about a lot. Math seems like it's been around forever and you're just learning how to do it. But on the higher levels, right, um, you are you are using math to invent new formulas, new equations, to discover new things. And that's what Catherine was doing. She was having to invent math that didn't exist yet um, to get these into space. Yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is, I feel like I was reading at some point not too long ago that even into the 70s, probably when you were bouncing around the hallways, like their, their computer systems were still behind and like or in the yeah. 80s. Right. So guys who could bring laptops in had more power on their laptop and then the NASA computers did <laughs> for a while. Right. Maybe I don't think it's that Absolutely. way now. Right. No, I mean, it, it's it's mind blowing. And my my godfather actually also works at NASA. I come from a big, big NASA <laughs> area. And. What's interesting, though, is some of the older technology, it's been lost, and people don't know how to use the technology they were using in the 60s because it's so outdated. So he'll occasionally still get a phone call and say, you know, we have a problem with an ancient satellite. How, you know, how the heck do we fix it? And that knowledge has been lost, actually. And so that's how much things have changed. Yeah. And, you know, there's still something, you know, noble, I suppose, about this notion of slide rules and pencils mm-hmm. and chalkboard. Uh, and not only is it noble in what they're toiling to do, but I think you also, I don't know if it's lucky, but it's a visual medium, right? You really, can, right. you can feel that. And so, uh, you know, what I'm just, before we wrap up here, I mean, how, how close, I know you mentioned a little bit, but um, how close did they stick to your shooting scripts when you were filming? The final shooting script, uh, you know, that Ted and I wrote, very close, honestly, very, very close. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, you know, there were definitely scenes that hit the cutting room floor. I would say that would be the big thing is, okay. is scenes got cut. But, you know, the discovery, I think, was with the actors and everything. Yes, some lines got changed here and there, you know, that they felt was more authentic. But it was just, I think it was the quieter moments that, that things were built, like the scene in the Pentagon meeting just the way that Kevin Costner sort of gives that look before he hands her the piece of chalk, mm-hmm. you know, that it's just so perfect in the way the camera pans and then Jim Parsons' reaction to her numbers, you know, that's the stuff that I love. And you, you, really you wrote that into the script, stuff. right? Well, you you write, you know, like, you know, Harrison, I can't remember the exact one, you know, Harrison looks at Catherine right. and you know, she has to get up at the board, but you're not you're not saying like, it's not so written out that it's like, the entire room pauses and Kevin Costner gives this amazingly wry you know, expression <laughs> and glances over at her. And, you know, that's the actors, right? That's the actors bringing, bringing um, their talent to it and, and, and the direction. And, 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 and honestly, just even, you know, the production design, right? So when you look at the colored restroom, and what Wynn Thomas, our production designer, did, and it's metal and it's cold and it, and it's run down, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you finally see the the white restroom and it's got this beautiful warm light and these perfect paper towels and it's <laughs> painted so lovely and you feel it so much more. And and that's the beauty of a movie. Is as a writer, you write the blueprint and then you send it out to the departments and they they transform your vision and they take it honestly beyond sometimes what you can imagine. Did, did that scene really happen of um, Harrison uh, 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 knocking down the uh, color bathroom sign? So there's a few things. So he did it with a memo. It's the first thing. So the first thing is Harrison is a fictional character. 
uh, Catherine actually had two bosses and there were lots of heads of the space task group. And so it just needed to be one for the sake of streamlining. So he's sort sure. of a symbol of all of these people. Okay. So he's an amalgam and, um, you know, her, 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 you know, it was not quite so dramatic of a monologue in the rain, you know, it was sort of more of discussions with her boss and he ended up, you know, one of these bosses ended up writing this memo that, you know, had the sign taken down, but, you know, it's just not cinematic to have someone angrily typing a memo. Uh, and so the hammer is, nice. is what we use as a symbol of the, the segregation ending. Ah, fantastic. You know, that, well, it's a great example of how you can, you know, heighten and make it much more, make the same point and have it be accurate, but also much more dramatic and, uh, and, and film worthy. Um, right. And, you know, I think the coolest thing about this is you mentioned that you started at the end point and worked backwards with when mm -hmm. writing the script. And it's exactly how they did it to calculate their calculations for bringing right. them back from orbit. Uh, it's just fascinating stuff. And unfortunately, I think we've worked, gotten to our end point of our <laughs> interview. But yes. Thank you so much for join, spending some time and joining us. Uh, really, uh, if you haven't seen the movie Hidden Figures, you should go out and see it for sure. I, it's, I think it's still in the theaters now because of the Oscar buzz, right? It is. And honestly, people are just still going to see it. I think it's gotten incredible word of mouth. And I think more than that, it's a film that families can go to. And mm -hmm. some people are going to see it multiple times because I think the first time you watch it, you're just so afraid something really, truly terrible that the women aren't going to have a happy ending. And mm -hmm. so I think people like to go see it again because they know that, that a happy ending is coming for these ladies. Without question. We, uh, we all walked out of there, you know, a little bit taller uh, for having seen it. So, uh, Allison, Good. thank you so much for joining us. And again, definitely check out the movie uh, whenever, as soon as you can. And we are all be cheering for you coming up soon. <laughs> I mean, the, I, the Oscars are when? When are they coming up? Oh, gosh, there are two weeks and I still don't have a dress. So I should probably, I should <laughs> oh. probably do something about that. Yes, do something about that. Look your prettiest. And don't forget, like, you know, just getting the nomination. That's the win, right? It is the win. It honestly is. I mean, this was a little bit of an underdog movie and, and we didn't. And it's maybe a little unexpected for the for the awards uh, contenders. And it's been a dream to be nominated. And I'm having so much fun with my fellow nominees. Honestly, it's a really good group of people. So, um yeah, I mean, this whole thing has been quite quite a dream experience. It doesn't really get much better than this. So. Well, absolutely. Well, we're all crossing our fingers for you. And uh, again, thanks for coming on the show. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Allison? I'm in. <laughs>